Books should be a reflection of our society. And yet, between the authors landing six-figure deals to the editors sourcing new talent, the publishing industry in America is much wider than the general population. In June 2020, author L.L. McKinney launched a viral hashtag campaign called Publishing Paid Me. It opened up a national conversation on pay equity and diversity in the industry. While some progress has been made since then, there's still a long way to go to make the publishing industry equitable from the inside out. Most of the editors in publishing houses are either white women or white men. So as a black woman, if I have a story to tell, is there someone on the other side of the table that's going to be able to understand what I'm talking about, even if they themselves haven't lived through it? And oftentimes the answer is no. This is Don Michelle Hardy, a.k.a. the literary lobbyist. Today, I'll speak with her about how to navigate the publishing industry as an aspiring author of color. But first, we'll hear from author Kalisa Ray, who is breaking down gatekeeping in the writing world by helping her community. You know, the harsh truth of being a Black author in this industry is that your work and your talent sadly does not always equate to you receiving the wage and the pay that you deserve. Welcome to Access and Opportunity. I'm your host, Carla Harris. On this show, we provide context about racial inequities and share tangible examples of how ideas around access and opportunity are being made real every day. Black woman, this world will make you circus act, freak show, tightrope walker, contort your When Kalisa Ray was an undergrad, she Barton. found her voice through a uniquely powerful medium, slam poetry. After I would perform, people that didn't know me would come up to me and tell me, wow, your story about mental health made me want to go get help. Your talk about being a Black woman in the South and racism really opened my eyes and I didn't know that's what you experienced. And so the more people would come up to me, the more I would feel empowered and confident enough to speak up and not be silent. When they call you hero, when they hand you the cape anyway, say heavens, I carried enough. When they call your strength otherworldly, say... It is the Venus rising within me. Nothing more. Today, Kalisa continues to channel her voice and her values through writing. She's a senior writer at the online publication Jezebel and a full-time author and educator in Durham, North Carolina. Her potential shined at a young age. I wouldn't necessarily say that I've always known I would be a writer, but I've always been a writer. The story goes that I was, you know, a little seven-year-old and I used to just always storytell. I have Tupperware containers of my stories uh, that my mom has kept underneath my bed in my childhood room. I would just create these magical worlds in my head that like nothing was impossible for me. But I guess the other darker side is growing up in what used to be called the murder capital of the world, Gary, Indiana. I saw a lot, you know, a lot of traumatic things. And so I think writing was definitely a way to escape. For much of her youth, Kalisa attended an all-white private Christian school. There, she was largely exposed to books by white authors in her English classes. 
So I had to kind of create what I wanted Blackness to be, what I wanted womanhood and girlhood to be in these stories. And I was able to shape a new narrative in the way that I wasn't seen, I wasn't represented. At home and church, Kalisa's talent for the arts was nurtured. But she didn't get that same support from her teachers. Quite the opposite, in fact. Kalisa's been falsely accused of plagiarism not once, but multiple times in her academic career. The first accusation came at just 10 years old. I put my heart and soul into that paper. In my bones, I knew the paper was really good. Well, fast forward to us getting the grade. The teacher has put a big red F across, and that was the biggest slap in the face that somehow she thought my mom or one of my siblings or my parents had written my work. And that wasn't true. I was very studious. I was at the top of my class. I didn't really realize that that was rooted in prejudice and racism at the time. It didn't occur to me till my mom really sat me down and explained to me that I was really one of the only girls of color in my school. Unfortunately, teachers not believing in Kalissa's ability was a pattern that repeated itself over and over, even in college. The feeling that she didn't belong in the Southern University she chose was exacerbated by racism with deep roots. So I would turn in my poetry at UNC Wilmington and I saw a lot of diminishing in my confidence through me not really getting the celebration and empowerment of my work by my professors and my peers and experiencing a lot of racism that ran the gamut. I learned about the 1898 race massacre that occurred in the town, and it really left a dent on my self-esteem to even want to study and do well as a student. It wasn't until she transferred from a predominantly white institution to a historically Black university that the debilitating cycle was broken. Stepping onto the campus of NCANT University was transformative. Walking into a place where all I learned was representation. Toni Morrison, Nikki Giovanni, Maya Angelou, Langston Hughes, Lucille Clifton, Gwendolyn Brooks. These are names that I can now spout off and I can quote them because I was introduced to them. And I knew through them that that life was possible for me too. But it took me getting to this new place um, that believed in cultivating the talent of all students, but particularly underrepresented students like me. I didn't know that I wanted to pursue creative writing literally until my professor, Dr. Ahmad, looked at me and said, this is what you should be doing. And just imagine the power one person has to speak into your life. And then that changed the whole trajectory of my career. For an aspiring writer, mentorship and community is invaluable. It was the connections that Kalisa made at NC A&T, better known as North Carolina A&T, Go Aggies, that would set her on the path to her MFA program and ultimately to publishing her first book of poetry inspired by her experience in Wilmington, Ghost in a Black Girl's Throat. Mentors also helped her navigate the financial uncertainties of a writing career. So by way of my professor, I met my mentor, the coach of the Bull City Durham Slam team. He's a guru at fellowships, grants, residencies. I had no idea that people do want to support 
you as a full-time author, writer, entertainer, performer, artist. There's tons of grants out there. And so he really opened my eyes to grants.gov and being involved in nonprofits and how really grants and fellowships are literally one click away. In 2020, Kalisa launched a collective called Think in Inc. as a way to pass along her hard-earned knowledge to other Black and brown writers. You know, the harsh truth of being a Black author in this industry is that your work and your talent sadly does not always equate to you receiving the wage and the pay that you deserve. Think and Ink was born out of this idea that there's so much, not just gatekeeping, but there's also this like secrecy in the writing community that only the elite get to know about opportunities like fellowships and grants and awards only they get published and that's ridiculous all writers deserve the opportunity to win an award get a fellowship learn more have a writing coach join a workshop again lifting the veil telling people things that we wish somebody would have told us before we made all these mistakes and had all these trials and tribulations in the industry. And so we try to eliminate barriers for black and brown artists in a way that wasn't done for us. Happy award winner. This spring, Kalisa celebrated the one-year anniversary of the release of Ghost in a Black Girl's Throat. On the same day, she found out that she won the Appalachian Arts and Entertainment Award for Poetry. It wasn't the first, nor is it likely to be the last award Kalisa will win for her work. As she looks ahead to publishing a YA novel based on her own life called Unlearning Eden, as well as a Southern romance— Kalissa is continuing to pay forward the wisdom she's gleaned. I was told when I was younger as a Black writer, aspiring artist, full-time author, that I would never make it. And so the first piece of advice that I would give Black authors would be know that you are capable and that you are powerful beyond measure, that you have everything that you need to be successful and survive, that the possibilities are endless, and that for every person that told you that you couldn't, use that as drive to say that I can. Use that as motivation to say I will. I am. I won't stop. Community and mentors are everything. And so I would say if you're someone that has a platform or access, please, please pull other authors up. And with that, I would say go find your community because they are out there. And don't be afraid to talk to someone new because that one person could change your entire life like it did me. Thanks to the support Kalisa has received as an author and performer, there's no limit to her success. But she recognizes that it could have gone very differently. Our next guest has made a career out of breaking down barriers for people of color in the publishing industry. As the founder of the literary lobbyist, Don Michelle Hardy is a publishing triple threat, a publicist, agent, and consultant. Dawn has spent the last 20 years helping authors of color get published and paid. She's also working with HBCUs to create clear career paths into publishing. As a published author myself, 
I know how opaque the publishing process can be for newcomers. So I sat down with Dawn to help shine a light on what it takes to get a book published and to learn how the industry is slowly changing for the better. Don, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Are you ready? Yes, I am, Carla. Let's do it. All righty. So let's jump right into publishing. In December of 2020, the New York Times published an op-ed revealing that just 11 percent of books published in 2018 were written by people of color. So can you talk a little bit about some of the barriers that BIPOC authors face in getting their work published? Yeah, I would say it's definitely changed, you know, over the last couple of years. The last 24 months has been insane. But I would say from the time that I came into publishing, what I've seen, if you want to get a traditional deal, is that usually there's no shared experience. Most of the editors in publishing houses are either white women or white men. So as a black woman, if I have a story to tell, is there someone on the other side of the table that's going to be able to understand what I'm talking about, even if they themselves haven't lived through it? And oftentimes the answer is no. Ah. Even as an agent, you know, I've had editors say, I like to acquire books that I personally would buy for myself, even if I wasn't in the publishing industry. Mm. And at that point, would a white man buy a book by a young black woman? You know, is that a book that he would buy if he didn't work in publishing? And oftentimes the answer is no. Well, that's a big playbook point, frankly, because you're also speaking to bias, right? And even though I may not understand your experience as a Black woman, that suggests if you're writing about something personal, I might not be able to identify if I don't look like you. But what if I am writing about something in general or about business or about music or about art? You know, what you're suggesting is that there may be an assumption that even though you're talking about a common point, I may not be able to identify your perspective because I don't look like you. Absolutely. You know, as an author, and my third book is coming out in September, I remember having all these questions. And despite the fact that I was a career investment banker, I know a lot about a lot of different things. When I tell you this was as obscure as it could possibly be, and even signing the contract with my second, and frankly, if I'm going to be honest, my third book, I was still sort of like, mm, is there something I ought to know that I don't know? Mm. <laughs> you know, let's talk about the gatekeepers, because I want to take one of our listeners who might be interested in writing a book. Let's take them from the beginning all the way to the point where they're having that publishing conversation. So what do you need first? If I am an author with a great story, what do you have to do in order to get that visibility? So I tell all authors, whether they want to go the traditional route or decide to do it independently, you have to build a platform and a community for yourself. You should already be out there speaking on podcasts, writing articles, doing speaking engagements about the topic that you want your book to be on. That's your platform, because that means you already have 20 speaking engagements lined up this year. The only thing you don't have is a book to sell in the back of the room. The bigger your platform, the more excited an agent will be, as well as the more excited that a publisher would be as well, because they want to know how many books can you sell on your own if we do nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you're out there. You got a platform. You've written a book. What do you do next? How do you get to the agent? So I tell everybody Twitter is like a gold mine. Twitter has a hashtag that's MSWL, which basically stands for Manuscript Wishlist. And agents and editors go on there and tweet what they're looking for. That's a way for you to organically connect with that individual and say, oh, I saw that you're looking for YA romance set in the inner city. I have something. There's also Publishers Marketplace, which is a gem. It is a publishing database that lists agents, editors, Everybody in the publishing industry, whether you're sales or social media, is listed on there. But it's a place also where agents and editors can go and put their book deals. So you can find out, okay, 
you know, I think I have a great fresh idea for a romance book. But if you go on Publishers Marketplace and type in the category of relationship, nonfiction, you'll see all the books that are coming out within the next two to three years, Mm. as well as all the books that have come out in the last 10 to 15 years. Ah. So then you get a chance to say, oh, well, you know what? After looking at all the deals that have been done in the last year, I realized mine is not as unique as you think. Outstanding. Those are excellent playbook points. Hashtag MSWL and Publishers Marketplace Marketplace. to figure out what else is going there and to connect with agents and editors. Okay, so now you connected with five agents. What should you care about if you're the author? The first thing I say is keep in mind that it's a partnership. They don't work for you and you don't work for them. Therefore, your agent is oftentimes the first person beyond your spouse or your mama that believes that you have something great on your hands. And the difference between your spouse and your mama is that they don't have a seat at the table. Your agent does. So your agent is actually your advocate and they have to believe in you. So you want to find out, ask them stories about how diverse their list is. Mm. You know, what brought them into the business? You know, have they ever gotten a six-figure deal for someone? You want to ask them those type of questions. There's nothing off limits simply because it's a partnership. So I always tell them, make sure that you ask how diverse their list is. And if it isn't, it doesn't mean that they're not now in a position where they're looking for that. Because prior to two years ago, a lot of people didn't have diverse lists. But now a lot of editors and publishers are being more intentional about that. So even if a person says, my list isn't quite that diverse, but I love your writing and I really want to work with you, you may be the first diverse author on their list. But again, it helps to know if they've done that before, simply so that you can find out, do they have the experience to advocate for someone that doesn't look like them. Mm, very good. Yeah. Well, you would think that the interest would be aligned, right? Because they get paid a percentage of what you get paid. So they're Absolutely. highly motivated to get a good deal for you. Absolutely. Like agents get traditionally 15% of whatever the advance is. So if your advance is $100,000, 15000 of that is my compensation for getting you the deal. So let's talk about you got the agent, you got a deal. Now, how do you sell the books? I tell everybody, it doesn't matter whether you self-publish or you get a traditional deal. The marketing is everything. So whether you're doing it from your living room or you have the whole team at HarperCollins on board is really the marketing. And again, that comes down to community, taking an entrepreneurial approach. Because I'm an entrepreneur and I got my start working with self-published authors, I see how hard self-published authors work because they don't have a team of 20. There is no sales force. You are the sales force. You know, there is no social media team. You are the social media team. So taking an entrepreneurial approach means that you take the lead seat in promoting your book and then your publisher basically is supporting you. I could not agree more. And that's a whole nother conversation we could talk about. But let's talk about progress because you made a point earlier in this conversation about things have been crazy in the last couple of years. And I assume what you meant is on the back of the horrible murder of George Floyd. People now all of a sudden were interested in black authors because there was an awakening around black readers Mm -hmm. and the commerciality of that audience. But have we made progress, in your opinion? Have some of the promises and focus of 2020 been followed through on? I believe that we have. Just when I look at people in my network and people that I follow on social media, author St. Clair Dietrich Jules, she had a book about Black women and their hair. It's a photography book. She couldn't get representation. An agent actually told her, we don't see who the audience is for this book. Well, it's women (laughs) of color who are battling and supporting the Crown Act and things of that nature. But nonetheless, that's what she was told at that time. So St. Clair decided to self-publish. And sure enough, Right when she was ready to prepare for the marketing, guess what? George Floyd, 2020, 
the world set on fire. And then she went back to that same agent and said, can you give me some ideas on marketing? And the agent said, you know what? I want to take a second look at your book. And that book wound up being published with Chronicle. And it came out uh, last year, September. And now that same publisher is now talking to Sinclair about doing a young reader version of that same book. So when I look at change, I know authors who receive rejections or were told we don't see an audience for this or we don't think that we can break this book out nationally. After the year of 2020 happened, everybody was having those internal conversations and then started doubling back to people. No. Or act, were actually going out looking and scouting for black and brown talent. I had never seen that before in my 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Well, you can't debate that that's progress in my view. So now let's talk about hashtag publishing paid me. Oh, yeah. Right. Let's talk about that movement and mm -hmm. what it is. Publishing paid me. OK, so that hashtag was started by a YA author simply to put on blast that publishing as the industry overall would pay someone of color who had an established platform and an established community less money for their second or third book than they would pay a white author with no platform working on their first book. So there's a uh, gentleman, he put out a book, I think in 2019, he got $800,000 advance. Jasmine Ward won the National Book Award twice and I think for her second book, she really had to fight to get a hundred grand. Wow. Yeah. So publishing paid me, it was mostly women, but it basically said household names that readers already know and love their book. This is how much money they got for that book that you love. This is how much money they got after they won that award that you congratulated them on. People had to fight just to clear six figures. But someone with no platform and stepping on the scene for the first time gets almost a million dollars. Wow. And was there any correlation, lack of agent? Because again, I don't understand how the agent would stand for that, given that they're getting paid. No, they were all represented. They were all represented. And so that's the thing. So because you are a brown or black author, the conversation that the agent is having with someone inside is not really about the quality of your work. It's do we believe that we can sell mm -hmm. a lot of copies of this book, Bad Feminists, written by this woman, Roxane Gay? Mm -hmm. Understood. So a lot of times the advance you get is what the publisher is willing to lose. Right. You know, I'm betting $15,000 on you, but I don't want to bet $100,000 on you. So tell us about the partnership that you're developing with HBCUs to help get more young Black professionals in the industry. Because you are right, having more decision makers at the table changes the landscape. No question about it. We've seen it in VC and we've seen it in other industries. So talk to us about what you're doing there. Absolutely. So when I became an agent, I would always say, wow, like we are the Black editors. As a Black agent, I would love to have a meeting with a man or woman that looks like me and discuss what kind of books we can do together. And so one of the conversations that always came up from veteran literary agents and editors was that, Dawn, listen, people that start on an assistant level do summer internships. And oftentimes those internships are unpaid. So think about your college years. You got student loans and you had a part-time job and you had work study. So could you have afforded to work this summer for free in New York City to learn about book publishing? So oftentimes, Black and Brown students, they can't afford to do non-paid internships. Therefore, if you can't afford, you don't have access to go to Simon Schuster every day, to go to Penguin Random House every day. Therefore, you're not learning. When those internships are over, there are a lot of times interns can get hired on as assistants. So if you never got a chance to be the intern, 
you never get a chance to be the assistant. So at that point, I was like, okay, what can I do to help get the next generation of students to want to work in publishing? And I have a lot of friends that went to HBCUs. They brag about it all the time. And so I said, you know what? I work with a lot of authors of color. Why don't we start setting up speaking engagements and have the authors come? So whether they're coming to talk about the subject matter of their book or the role that the publishing industry played in their career for them to get that particular book. Simply because I want authors to go into HBCUs and talk to students about what that process is like. I don't have an MFA. You know, I didn't take a creative writing course. I got my start in publishing 20 years ago by being an assistant to an author. So one of the things that I say to these students is, you have a favorite author. You follow them on social media already. Why don't you ask if you can be their assistant? Because again, they will pay you, whereas you can't afford to do the free internship. So you need access, you need experience, but you also need money. Well, let me just add one other thing that you might want to think about, given your tremendous experience, is working with some of the publishing houses and setting up a 10 to 12 week internship so that they can structure it in a way that, you know, the student will have two weeks in marketing, two weeks in sales, two weeks around copy editing or whatever, but help them structure it. Because one of the things I have figured out, Don, is that the reason why people don't move forward on initiatives like this is that they don't know how. So when you can give them a structured program and say, here, publishing house A, A, B, C, D, and E. This is what a 10-week program looks like. And here are my partnerships to 12 HBCUs. Now, after 10 weeks or 12 weeks in your house, here's what they know. And they now become a community that you can pick from when you're looking to hire your entry-level people the following June. And because you know the whole business from soup to nuts, Mm -hmm. you can help them put together what you think a sophomore at Howard, what they need in order to be able to make the career decision about publishing. Yes. Don Michelle Hardy, thank you so much. Thank you. For taking the time to speak with us today. I might be calling you Miss Don. <laughs> I'm here for you, Carla. Okay. I'm here for you. All right. Excellent. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Carla. What an illuminating conversation that was with Don. It was full of practical advice that I wish I had when I got started as an author. The information that both Don and Kalisa Ray shared is crucial to help break down barriers in the publishing industry for people of color. Not only because it takes power away from gatekeepers, but also because it provides a more even playing field for those hoping to get published. As Kalisa said, all writers deserve equitable opportunities to have their talent nurtured and their work amplified. I want to thank both Kalisa Ray and Don Michelle Hardy for joining me on this episode of Access and Opportunity. What did you think of today's episode? Send us your thoughts at carlapod at morganstanley.com. And to continue learning about individuals working to drive systemic change within their communities, subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for coming along.